Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Remember to Drink. Remember to Drink. And that goes for the podcast as well. That title supplied on Twitter by Stuart Neal. Thank you for your title suggestion. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined in the baking hot shed by Matt Two rumpets. Good evening, Matt. Well, hello there, Spanners. Did you ever have one of those days where it was two minutes to five and you were just about to walk out of the office and suddenly the phone rings and, and everything- bang, you cancel all of your plans for the next three hours? That's kind of how I felt today. That's the Matt Trumpet's world when tyres suddenly dominate the end of a British Grand Prix. Indeed, I thought I would be done. I thought I would be done writing the report for Summers at like 1130 because it was so nailed on. I was writing like one sentence every 10 minutes. And then suddenly the last three laps just cost me everything. That's right. You do a race review, not for MissedApexPodcast.com, but for Summers, Summers Summers F1.co.uk because you value him more than our project. That's fine. I'm not offended. I, I have offered. No, he's demanded lots of money to do it. Don't listen to him, listeners. He has held me to ransom for that race review, and I do not negotiate with Americans. Hello to all our American listeners and everyone around the world. I hope you enjoyed that British Grand Prix. Still saw some people complaining about the general entertainment of the race, Matt. But I don't know. I just think like what we saw at the end of today's race, as exciting as it was, is only really exciting in the context of the whole race as a whole you know and in in the same way the really great races are only exciting in the context of all the monacos and the paul ricards as well you know including the boring bits f1 as a whole and this race as a whole was uh you know it was an an entertaining couple of hours i enjoyed my f1 viewing today yeah i think it had more to offer than most people realized and uh just you know, it's a great track to watch the cars go round, even if there's not a ton of overtaking. Um, and as always, if you find yourself saying, boy, this race is boring, well, get a timing app 
and watch the watch the lap times go by and suddenly you'll find a whole new set of things to get excited about. It does come to life. I do wish the F1 timing app had a, a delay function so that you could match it to your stream because you know, some people are up to a minute behind on the stream. That would be good. You just hit the pause button. Oh, all this time. There's a pause button. You just hit pause and wait for it to catch up. Oh, oh no. All this time I could have had that. So, yeah, my boy made me turn off the timing app because he was like, well, it's stupid. It's just spoiling the race. All right. Well, there's our first top tip of the afternoon. And, you know, there's me saying to you, Matt, Matt, it can't always be about tyres on the show. For goodness sake, stop making everything about tyres. And then the British Grand Prix just turns around and goes, hello, Spanners. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. It, it, it really is kind of like a gift because people do overlook the tyres. They do tend to be kind of important. And it's also important for us to say that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by race analyst Jeansy Van Jean. Alex, how's it going, bud? It's going all right. It's my third show in a row. That never happens for, for race reviews. You've decided that you're also a streamer. You've been lending your hand to uh, streaming our Missed Apex iRacing swarms and been uh, sh- uh, doing some shooty gun games as well. So go over to YouTube and search for Alex Van Jean. Yeah, I've been I've been dabbling. I I haven't just satisfied been satisfied with playing games on my PC. I have to do all the other things now. And I started with streaming our races, and then I realised I really love this game called Onward, and uh, in VR, and I like streaming that with my mate Nick. There we go. Watch uh, watch Alex play video games with his strange internet friend, and we've also got joining us a race driver. And uh, actually, what we talk about less is you know specialist tire tester. Bradley Philpott. Hi, Brad. Hello. Good evening. I'm very happy to be here. This is going to be right down your alley, isn't it? I mean, you push tyres to destruction for money. Yeah. Uh, the things that happen to those guys at the end of the race today, um, that happens to me all the time. So, yeah, I'm very experienced in that kind of thing. Brilliant. Let's move on with the show. Okay, so clearly the biggest news of the weekend was that Sergio Perez tested positive for COVID-19. So, of course, everyone listening wishes him well. He appears to be asymptomatic at the moment. However, F1 bubbles and rules and mandates state that he has to be excluded from Formula One for 10 days. So Nico Hulkenberg does his best to jump in, and we'll address that later in the show when we focus in on Racing Point. One of the big stories of qualifying for me, though, Matt, was the uh, the qualifying battle between Lewis Hamilton and um, and Valtteri Bottas? Lewis Hamilton goes and pips it. In the end, he did uh, both his laps would have been good enough for pole. But what I found was an interesting discrepancy between where they were finding their time around the lap. Uh, yeah, and this uh, speaking of the timing app, this was blatantly obvious if you were looking on the timing lap that it was sector two where Lewis was having the best time of it. And Botas was generally grabbing some time around Sector 1 and Sector 3. And that's interesting because post-race, Lewis remarked on the different setups that they were running ah, right. in the race. I missed that. Yeah, so so you saw a preview of that in qualifying. And, you know, at the end of it all, it really just came down to just the smallest margins 
And for Botas, just the tiniest of mistakes, just pushing that little bit too hard when he should have just been a slight bit easier. See, let's go to, I think, Brad, naturally, for that. I mean, Brad, we've been spending time as a big group um, doing our Missed Apex iRacing practice sessions before the officials. So we're out in our pretend Formula Renault 2.0s. We've actually been doing laps around Silverstone as well. And it's interesting for me to watch you, uh, you know, really prepare for your qualifying lap. And, you know, it struck me that sometimes you will say, right, the the tyres, even in iRacing, they're not going to last for a qualifying lap, certainly not going to last for a second run and really having to nurse them for for the first, you know, for the outlap. Whereas here at Silverstone with the F1 cars, they were talking about having to nurse it through sector one to make sure they had tyres for sector three. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing. Obviously, it's just in a more extreme, uh, it's just a more extreme version of it. And and yeah, the iRacing preparation was really key for us this week, certainly for me, um, because exactly as you said, if you just go a little bit too fast with Silverstone being so front left limited, um, as we came to see later in the race, you would just feel you had less bite, less grip through the steering wheel later on into your flying lap. And you'd think, oh, if I'd just gone a little bit slower on the out lap, uh, then I would have had a bit more to play with here. But the, yeah, this- but there was a bit more of an extreme version here where even if you pushed it too hard through like Abbey and Farm, you were running out of tyres when you really needed it in sector three, which is, it's odd to think that the tyres can't give you like one full lap. Yeah, it's just a very extreme circuit, isn't it? It's it's just putting so much load through that front left and and there's just a lot of fast right-handers that kill that particular tyre. So yeah, the drivers who really worked out during practice where the best kind of, the best combination of backing off or just taking it slightly easy to then gain later in the lap. The drivers who did that the best then benefited in qualifying. I mean, the main reason for bringing this up is we kept seeing in Q3, in the two runs, we saw Bottas would come out and Q1 was purple, 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 and then he would lose it towards the end of the lap. So is it possible that he just, you know, used it all up in sector one, Brad? Yeah, it's very possible. He just didn't quite get to grips with the best compromise. You would have Mm. thought the engineers would have gone through the data and, and made the drivers fully aware of where it was best to to take the life out of the tire and where you would get most benefit in the same way that they go through, you know, where it's any kind of setup change where it's best to make that compromise because you're going to gain, you know, less wing, you'll gain more on the straights, but you'll be slower through the corners. Um, it's a similar kind of thing. It's all about a compromise. So I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't just know for sure where to do that. Maybe Hamilton was just better at judging it. What I find really interesting is up until Q3, uh, Bottas was winning Sector 1 and Sector 3, Lewis was winning Sector 2, and Botas was slightly ahead. So where I find myself in this is either at the absolute limit with the engine turned all the way up and the fuel drained all the way out, Lewis was able to gain enough time, or it took that little bit extra out of the tires at that velocity, and it hadn't shown up until then to either the engineers or Botas, but to my memory... It was a mistake in the second sector that really cost him any chance at coming back in the third. He was taken about two two to three tenths out, and Lewis was getting most of it back in the second sector. That was the general pattern up until that point. I don't know if anybody else was aware of that. Yeah, but you know, we discussed that after the end of the first run in Q1, and then it happened again in the second run of Q3. Sorry, in the first run of Q3. So between those two ses- those runs, we discussed it, and then it happened again 
in the second run of Q3 and you think, oh, well, you know, maybe it is more down to just how they approach the lap. Um, but Jeansy, this, uh, this track, this wonderful Silverstone track, it does kind of make you, uh, you know, think, wow, we've looked at like the likes of Barcelona and Hungara Ring and gone, oh, maybe F1's outgrown those cars. These beasts kind of edge towards making it look like, oh, they've kind of straightened out all the kinks in Silverstone. Uh, it becomes a temple of speed and seeing them go through some of the high speed stuff. I mean, the fact that cops, which is a 90 degree corner yeah. is, is flat out is bonkers. I mean, you talk about RR racing and we spent a lot of time in the formula Renault there, you know, in a formula yeah. Renault, it's a down, it's breaking and a downshift. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Lewis did a cool down lap um, in practice that was still 10 seconds faster than we were going. Um and John McClintock said in the chat that even Lewis's last lap on three functional tyres was still three seconds faster than the Formula Renault World, oh, no. world uh, fastest lap. So the, the fact that I don't think people quite understand how impressive these cars are. So a track like Silverstone yeah. shows how impressive they are. I mean, we're only um, six sec. The qualifying time was only six seconds off the back of the grid of the old circuit, which was 13% shorter. Oh, right, where you turned uh, left at Abbey Correct. instead of going right into the village complex. Uh, what I will say is, you know, we were looking at the, the out-and-out, flat-out qualifying laps and going, oh, it's all been straightened out. However, you know, during the race, we, we saw people going side-to-side -side through Cops, for example, and you couldn't just hang it around the outside of Cops. So mm -mm. the turn is still exists and it is still an element in the racing. Uh, Matt, then Brad. Yeah, I just needed to make the point because I have that particular problem um, that it was only half a lap, basically, for Lewis. He he didn't have the flat until he was headed into Brooklyn's, basically. Brad. And I was just going to point out that despite the faster corners effectively becoming a bit more straightened out with you know how much grip these cars have, there are still a lot of slow corners um, that do require throttle control. You know, in all, all parts of the lap, there are places like Luffield or, or Turn 3 or the final chicane, all these places where you do need some low-speed skill as well. So I wouldn't write Silverstone off as um, F1 having outgrown it just yet. No, um, but I think it was just, um, you know, it's more looking at the performance of the cars has genuinely taken a step forward. And I was hesitant to say that. I genuinely believe F1, you know, has outgrown some of the, the traditional tracks. Silverstone, no, it's not there yet, but it, it's amazing to see what these modern F1 cars are doing uh, around this track. Uh, let's move on to the race. That bumper is very quiet. Let me fix that. How professional. That happens on Sky Sports all the time. Uh, let's move on to the race. A lot of the qualifying and pre-race stuff will get wrapped up onto some of the main talking points. So don't worry. We're going to talk exploding tyres. We're going to look at the uh, the racing point situation with Hulkenberg and how they performed uh, with just Lance Stroll as their number one driver. We'll look at the resurgence of Renault, the genuine competitiveness of um, McLaren and the, the woes and celebrations on opposite sides of the Ferrari garage. But first, we turn over to my oppo, who turned 54 this week. Happy birthday for Thursday, Matt Trumpets. And it's uh, down to you to tell us how the race was won and lost. Well, thank you very much for those birthday wishes. Mm. And um, I have to start with what is kind of the obvious thing, the tires. Uh, and I can't even argue this time. No, no, nobody could argue because the tires... 
made the race. Now, although I suppose you could fault me because at the end, Lewis was in front, his tire exploded, and he won the race anyway. And the most amazing minute 55 lap I've seen in a Formula One car that was the slowest lap by far by anyone in the entire race, but nonetheless won him the race. It was incredible. Uh, But if we're going to talk about the tires, what we're really talking about is why did these tires fail? And unlike, uh, was it 2013, I believe, when the sidewalls all went, uh, this was a different kind of a failure. And it was either the curbs, it was debris, or it was standing waves, and quite possibly a combination of all three. We're not going to know yet, and we may not know at all. Pirelli engineers are going to have to take a look and tell us what it is. So 2013, you're correct, it was Silverstone, and it started off with Lewis Hamilton having to pit, going down the Wellington Strait, and there was some controversy at the time about the tyres being uh, fitted to the wrong side, because they are they are sort of threaded, if you like, and they were put yep. on the, the wrong sides because you could kind of go, well, that that left has worn more than the right one. We can just swap them over. So I don't think there's any suggestion that it was anything like that today. But I think before we talk about the failures, the tyres did play, obviously, a big part in the strategy of the race. In a way, I mean, the safety car, the two safety cars really stretched out that first stint and took a little bit of the teeth out of the strategy today. It's almost like you're looking at my second point of the story, where the race was won and lost, and you were absolutely right. (laughs) The timing of that second safety car was just not good for the teams because it brought them in at the very edge of Pirelli's predicted range for the hard tire. We heard Crofty say that they set a maximum of 40 laps, and what we saw was that all of the front-running teams who were on the mediums brought everybody in on lap 13 and put on the hard tires. Now, they ran under the safety car till almost lap 18, I believe. So you'd think that there would be some margin for error there. But as we saw at the end of the race, apparently not as much as everyone thought. So margin for error. I'll just put a pin in that for a second whilst we shout out the stewards at um, Silverstone, who, who um, not stewards, beg your pardon, marshals, Marshals. Who, who clearly were operating uh, with much less staff, I think, than normal. And, you know, there was a picture of one marshal just vainly trying to kick debris out of the way before reinforcements came. So there was some criticism about why we spent so much time under the safety car. Unfortunately, I think that is just the price of being able to open under COVID conditions. It is. And in fact, uh, going back to the document that they drew up about it, uh, we're seeing roughly 50% of the marshals that would normally be there and not every marshal post. And as particularly the the criticism arose when Kvyat went off, uh, there were some marshal posts that were left unmanned and just with light panels for that specific reason, where places places where they thought it would be very unlikely for a car to go off and where he went off was not a likely place for a car to be at all. And that, I think, contributed to some of the lengthier safety car times relative to times when we weren't suffering from a global pandemic, let's say. Ah, oh, the before times. What sweet summer yes. children we were back then. So here we had the safety car out for a million laps and it just meant that the, t- the, the drivers could sit pretty um, between the first safety car and the second safety car. N- no one had to pit. Well, what it meant is that the second safety car period was right at the outside edge of getting to the end right. of the race on the hard tire. Gotcha. So I pit my driver lap 13. It's 52 laps. I have 40 laps, according to Pirelli, to run this hard tire without a problem. And I'm not really going to start 
racing to lap at least 15, I think. And as it turns out, it's lap 18 when things got back underway. So I think I'm okay. And I should have been okay. Except for, and you know how I like to always say it's the start of the race. I like to go back to the beginning. Yeah, you always go, it was the start line. That's all that it was. And this time it was December 10th, 2019, when the teams voted to not take the 2020 tires that Pirelli had designed (laughs) for these specific loads and Uh, for these specific cars, because the 2019 tires were already under-engineered relative to where the teams were. Who opposed it? Uh, The the majority of the teams opposed Uh. taking the 2020. And also, to be fair, one, because they were engineered to be driven harder for longer they didn't have as much grip as the softer fall apart sooner tires the drivers were used to. And number two, crucially, they had a slightly different geometric construction, which meant that the rear end of the car, particularly the floor, would have to be slightly rearranged. And the combination of those two things, so the teams were like, oh, we'll be fine with those 2019 tires. What could <laughs> possibly go wrong in a race? Oh, we but, don't, we don't, know, we don't. Potentially, you're looking at what could go wrong. We don't want to put our proper shoes on. We just want to run around in our feet outside in the, ah, dad, I stepped on a pebble. So basically yeah. that, that's just, Brad, yeah. you like that analogy? You liking that? I think that's really good. That sounds very apt. <laughs> uh, Matt, continue yeah. with where the race was uh, won and lost. So from, from the yeah. second safety car, yeah. uh, we're looking at all the teams got to then pit onto the hard tyre. And it, it really, I mean, it killed any chance of overcuts, undercuts. It took all the choice yeah. out of it. And that kind of killed the yeah. strategy dead. So that's unlucky. Unless you're Grosjean. Right. Of course. And now this isn't really part of one and loss, but I just bring it up to say he went 20 something plus laps on the medium tire. He was keeping pace uh, up until Ricardo passed him. He was keeping pace with Norris on that medium tire. So, so that you're, that's how long the front running teams would have stayed at, at least that long. Plus, had we not had that safety car and had they done that, I don't think you would have seen the failures that we saw today. That is a guess and speculation on my part. But really... No, go on. I, all, my, real, my real super quick point in that is that I okay. do fear that Haas, in a kind of a, a little bit of a fit of desperation for results, are going to Jensen button it like for the rest of the season now. So anytime there's any kind of 50-50 call, they're just going to do the opposite. You know how Jensen, there was a spot of rain. He'd see what everyone else was doing. He would do the opposite. If it didn't go well... No one would mention it if it did go well. Oh, you're such a genius in changeable conditions. Haas are going to do that now for every pit call. Well, I don't know if they'll do it for every pit call, but of course, their driver who got off to the really good start, Magnussen, was brutally taken out by Albon. Wait, wait, wait. No conclusions. No conclusions. It could be anyone's fault. Uh, okay. I, I am maybe previewing that that fun argument for later. <laughs> uh, but... But I just brought up Grosjean. And yeah, they will do the opposite because they don't have the car to compete any other way. And they know it. So I think it's a little different to button in that sense. They're just being smart about how can I get my car as far up the field as possible and then take as long driving backwards as possible, because that's always going to be my best result under the current circumstances. So I I think the race from this point on, uh, Grosjean aside, it is a, a race between the Mercedes drivers and Sebastian Vettel. Uh, sorry, Sebastian Vettel. That's how, out of habit. Max Verstappen. Well, it's a V. It's a V. It's, I got close. close. <laughs> it, it's close. No, actually, I had two points. Mm-hmm. One incredibly important point was the pace of Verstappen. And yeah. you might be saying, but he was in third place. Yes, but he was close enough that neither Mercedes 
could make a free pit stop. And he was close enough that when Botas blew up his tire, it was not, I mean, he was what, less than 10 seconds behind? Yeah. Valtteri, and part of that is the safety car keeping things together for a bit, but part of it was a surprising amount of race pace from the Red Bull, especially as the fuel burned off and they were on the hard tire. I was I was surprised he was that close, and him being that close meant that Valtteri wasn't going to get a new set of tires, and neither was Lewis. And then, of course, at the front front, we have the battle you're talking about, which yeah. is crucial. Yeah. So uh, before we um, uh, go on to then, you know, towards the end of the race, I'll, I'll go to Brad because I I heard from uh, a source close to Red Bull that all their struggles, particularly the ones that Albon's having at the moment, is a low fuel, soft tire, ultimate pace where they're struggling with balance. Um, but actually, when it comes to the race and, and race trim or going onto the harder tires, they're a little bit better. Does that make sense? And what the heck is balance? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because you're you're looking for two different things from the car in those two different situations. Um, outright pace on the absolute limit and quite good pace whilst preserving tyre life um, in the other situation. Um, so, so it does make sense. And it also makes sense that one driver over the other, um, perhaps the, the more skilled one, would be coping with that difficulty better than the other one um, and still extracting closer to the, you know, the maximum of what the car can give you. Um, and, and I think as long as you're not comparing to Mercedes, yeah. that does seem to be the case, doesn't it? Because, you know, Albon was able to come through the field quite well later on. Verstappen would have been the race winner if there weren't Mercedes there. So actually they are pretty good in race yeah. trim. Um, and they're not horrendous in qualifying trim apart from compared to Mercedes. Um, but it does look like it's a tricky car to drive. So as a race driver, and let's remind people that Bradley Philpott is a racy car driver, uh, you know, is a, a Nordschleifer specialist, is simply alien level in a cart and probably just off the top level uh, in sim racing. Brad, is that, that's not too unkind, is it? Just off the well, very top level. Well, just until this week when my oh, okay. direct drive wheel arrives. Oh, okay. It's all the equipment. It, when you get the right equipment, you'll definitely be right up the top. Um, but, uh, you know, it just struck me as interesting. When I was looking at your times, I was like, he's not that far ahead, is he? And you said, no, I only do out-and-out qualifying laps when I'm practicing. And when it comes to race setup, I'll just deal with it. Do you, do you think that would translate to if you were an F1 driver? Probably not, because the team would tell you what, what you need to do, and it would be a slightly different situation. But there's definitely something in that if you're racing in a series, maybe like Formula One, where qualifying is quite key. So certainly in RI racing, Formula Renault races, the reason I'm focusing on qualifying times is because you need to be out front, away from all the numpties, as someone put it in one of the support races this week. Um, you don't want to be involved in the incidents. And normally, if you can get out front, you can kind of then, like you say, work it out on the race setup because you're going quite a lot slower on the race setup quite often than you are on the qualifying one. Um, so yeah, so th that's my reasoning. And I don't know whether it'd be the same for me in Formula One. Uh, thank you very much to Marcio uh, Goncalves in the super chat in our live chat room. You can chat with us, search for Missed Apex podcast on YouTube. And when we're live, there's a little chat room option there. So if you're on your phone, you see our faces at the top and you can chat at the bottom. Uh, he's put five euros in there. Thank you very much, Marcio. He says Albon's pace was better because he had two tyre changes. He wasn't all that strong today in the race. We have got a, a Red Bull segment coming up. Uh, let's go to um, Alex Van Gene though. Uh, let's have a look at our, our two front runners uh, for a little while. I, I know there's always a bit of controversy when the Mercedes are both up front because it's hard to know what they're doing. You kind of have to tease it out. 
But I think there's a pattern developing that when Hamilton is out, the one out the front, that gap stays at a certain level. And when it's Bottas up at the front, you've got Hamilton swarming his gearbox about 0.6 seconds off. Yeah, I think Bottas was closer today. Um, but that could have had a lot to do with um, that could have had a lot to do with tires, but um, yeah, you do kind of see Lewis always seems a little bit more fighty when he's chasing Bottas. So to be fair, my ideal situation for the race today was for Bottas to get yes. Lewis at turn one, which he nearly did. Yeah, but Lewis stuck it around the outside, um, and then for Lewis to chase down Bottas all race. Um, however, we might have seen the tire blow a hell of a lot quicker if Lewis was chasing Bottas today. We might yeah. have seen a different strategy if Lewis was chasing Bottas today um or them being mm. told that the cars are breaking over vibrations over <laughs> yes um, oh, please calm down yeah, yeah and i like bottas i think bottas is pretty damn close to lewis in qualifying trim which is really impressive um and he's steady in the race but he doesn't seem to have that little bit extra when he needs to have it that pushes him that bit forward closer to have a fight like in hungary last week you know, it was the reverse last year when Lewis was chasing Max. Lewis caught Max and got past him. Um, arguably, the gap between the Red Bull and the Mercedes this year is bigger, and Bottas still couldn't get it done. Um, and I think that's Bottas's biggest struggle. If he can get out, if he can get qualify ahead and get out front, he can beat Lewis. But if Lewis is behind, I still have a feeling that Lewis can overturn it. We, d- we didn't see a meaningful over, uh, overtaking attempt, did we, Brad? And we, we never saw a phase where Hamilton, uh, sorry, where Bottas was like pushing for the lead. Yeah, I, I just want to back up what Alex has said there, because although it feels weird to say this about any driver who's made it through the cutthroat single-seater ranks to make it to Formula One, winning championships along the way, beating hundreds of drivers on your way and effectively being the best in your particular career and your path, it feels weird to say that that driver lacks some kind of final killer instinct because I don't. I find it difficult to see how you can get that far without that. But the evidence that I'm presented with, which is you know multiple seasons worth of seeing these particular drivers together, suggests that there is something that Bottas just doesn't. He just lacks that final kind of. I don't know what it is. Fire to get past. And I, I was going to use this as my my kind of missed the apex award at the yeah, end. But I'm going to bring it up now because it's it's relevant to this chat. At the end of the race, Bottas had a choice of getting one point or getting zero points. He tried to go around the outside of Vettel at Stowe. It didn't come off. Okay, you can write that particular part of the move off as he just didn't quite get that right. But there was an obvious lunge into the final chicane that I could see. And I was just willing him to just try it. You know, it's just for one point, but yeah. it's more than zero points. And I can't see Verstappen or Hamilton or several other drivers not at least trying. You know, it, wouldn't, it wasn't a guaranteed crash no. or anything like that. The driver would have been expecting, you know, Vettel would have been expecting him to come up the inside and would have left him room, I'm sure. Like lots of other drivers did. Norris did, I think, with another driver earlier in the race. Oh, Rojan, yeah. Um, yeah, and and Bottas just didn't he didn't even attempt didn't even break later and go a little bit deep so anyway sorry it was frustrating um, I'm giving you my missed apex I mean bit. and Vettel was submissive to Albon Albon went past Vettel like he was standing still on older tyres so yeah I, I it, it does seem to be that Bottas doesn't go for the killer moves Matt I think it's an interesting contextual decision That'll let Alvin buy because he knew that what's the point in defending this now? I'm not going to keep him out of this position till the end of the race. And the longer I try and slow him down, the more vulnerable I am to whoever's behind Alvin. 
Like, I understand that thinking. And I get your point about Botas. Absolutely. That lunge up the inside going into the veil chicane, I believe it is, is absolutely a great place to make a move. And we saw, as you said, Norris leaving Grosjean room there. There's no way Vettel would have just turned in on him. Um, and he would have had a really good shot at at taking that last point. It wouldn't matter much. He's still yeah. behind 30 points in the championship. No, but yeah. it would have been something. What was interesting to me goes back to what Spanner said about qualifying and okay. the tires in the sense that Botas ran Hamilton very, very close up until, I don't know, was it lap 43, 4, 5? And suddenly he started dropping back. He said he was having vision problems, like visibility problems, and that there were huge problems with mm. vibrations. And Hamilton himself referenced a different setup. And I just wonder if, for qualifying purposes, he was running lower downforce, trying to make up for losing time through the turns, and that at that level of usage of the tires, it turned around and bit him a little bit earlier than it bit Lewis. Uh, I'm oh, mega surprised that with, when, your vi- when your driver is telling you he's got vision problems because of a vibration, you don't bring them in. Did they not see Germany when Kimi Raikkonen's car exploded? Um, you know, it's surely one of those fundamentals. And there was, there was what was the gap between him and Max? 13, 14 seconds? Might Seven. have been enough time. Was it only that small? Yeah. Oh, after he yeah. lost, after he lost all the time. Were you not to, listening to so, my where the race was won and lost earlier? Clearly not. Uh, I was being shouted at by Steve Amy. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> we've all been there, my friend. You have my sympathy. He, do, he doesn't like your um, red background. So yeah. So if if all of a sudden, when he noticed he started to have this issue with the car, when he did have an extra seven seconds on Max, if he pitted, he then could have been chasing Max towards the end, and Max had to pit anyway. So. Mercedes don't seem to make those key decisions for safety over anything else. They just think, okay, we'll just slow down and back off a bit. In, I was just going to point out, um, just in um, response to Matt's uh, talking about Bottas having the failure slightly earlier than Hamilton, and maybe that setup was something to do with it. Um, I think it's probably more likely that it was because he was the the car following and therefore potentially suffering from a little bit of loss of front downforce through the race and just gradually wearing that front left a little bit quicker than Hamilton. Um, it seemed about the right time difference between one and the other. You know, Hamilton would have just had that much more um, clear air, uh, sorry, clean air flowing over his front wing throughout the race. Yeah. And Bottas would have always been at that slight front end disadvantage, scrubbing the front left a bit more. So, but with this battle, I mean, Lewis didn't seem to get a good start and Bottas seemed to get a great start. But there was sort of a crucial point towards the exit of uh, Abbey, turn one, where Hamilton went around the outside and... Uh, and Bottas just lifted, and that sent him back into the pack. And there was almost a bit of a Bottas train uh, for the first part of the first lap. Whereas I can't quite imagine Vettel, Verstappen, you know, not keeping their foot in. Basically, Hamilton has made that decision to go around the outside. And, and I guess you could argue, well, it's his teammate, Brad. But I just, I can't see many other drivers being quite as compliant. That's all. And we're talking about the first corner the of the race. very first corner of the race, yeah. So I thought exactly the same as you when I f- saw the initial view. And then when they showed the replay, it actually did look to me from above that Hamilton was quite a bit further ahead than okay. it initially looked from the from the onward camera. So I, I also gave Bottas a bit of a hard time mentally for that um, through turn one, <laughs> thinking that was a bit of a, a wimp and backed out of a move where he could have kept his foot in. But actually, I think Hamilton had that corner one. It just was a bit deceptive seeing the angle coming the car- with the cars coming towards you. 
Okay, so Matt, we are now going to go and talk about the Explodey Tires. Um, I've, I've called it Tires Go Bang, and this segment is brought to you by Trevor Williams, who is a patron. Uh, go find him on Instagram. He is sponsoring this segment, and uh, also he says that um, he is sponsoring the tire segment because he feels like it would upset me, so he wants to attach his name to it. Thank you very much to uh, Trevor Williams. If you want to be a patron like Trevor, uh, certain tiers can sponsor segments. Uh, go along to patreon.com forward slash Apex. We can compete up in the top 200 top 100 of itunes because you guys support us thank you very much to our existing patrons we're only here because of you come join us in our patron slack group get an ad free feed uh, and what what else do they get matt what else do they get oh some extra bonus slack. content as well i think i said slack um but also mm-hmm. uh, on the last new show I, I i reached out matt and i asked people if they could leave some itunes reviews because there was a few negative ones from around the world uh, possibly to do with some of the issues we've addressed lately. Uh, may, not aimed at you, Matt. Everyone loves you. All aimed at me. And I asked our listeners and our Facebook group if they would leave a positive review. We've had nearly 50 iTunes reviews worldwide from people responding to that, and they've all been absolutely wonderful. So a massive thank you. You, you, can't, you can't start to imagine how happy we were when I, when I shared all those iTunes messages Uh, with the rest of the panel and how much it helps us practically in the ratings. And when people click on it, they go, oh, wow, there's like 600 great reviews and everyone says they're brilliant. So thank you so much. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw that in there because you oftentimes will share them with us and in the the crew WhatsApp chat as we're talking about getting ready for the show. And it really is. It's just so nice to hear the support and the things people have to say about the show. It's uh, a real motivation to keep on working hard. And when you send us nice messages, I do screenshot them and I put them in our group WhatsApp as well. So everybody sees them and we feed off that. And even when they're horrible messages as well, I screenshot them and I put them in the WhatsApp chat as well. So we can all sit there and yell at you and go, ah, Jeff from Dudley, you're a git. What do you know? And then I curl up in a ball and cry. But Matt, Explodey Tire segment, sponsored by Trevor Williams. Let's go. Okay, so the main reasons why these tires might have exploded, and it's really important to stress that until Pirelli comes back and says it was X or it was Y or it was Z, this is all a bit of speculation, but it's important general tire knowledge, and everybody should know lots and lots and lots about tires. Right, Brad? Yes. Okay, see, there we go. At least half the panel is on board with this. I'll just, leave, I'll just leave the panel shot on you and Brad, and then you, you can just have a conversation about this. It sounds great. Now, we know that Christian Horner said when they pulled Max's tire off, they found 50 lacerations on the tire, which would argue that it might just have been some unfortunate carbon fiber debris on the track doing the damage, um, you know, maybe someplace where the cars swing a little bit wide. I, I know Kemi lost his front wing. I don't remember where, but there's a couple of places on track where the cars tend to go wide, like the the exit of Cops, for example, and out of Luffield. You get up onto the curbs, and if there was some some something there, it might shred your tire. The second thing is it might just be the curbs themselves. I mean, we've seen it in the past with the sidewalls getting a little too wide, doing some damage. Or the third explanation is something called standing waves. And I'm so excited to talk about this because spanners will hate me for 
ages because he probably even knows what it is and just doesn't want to have to learn it again. No, it's all right, man. You cr- I've got rum here. I'm good. You crack on. So what happens is as you get closer and closer to the edge of your tire's performance ability, and, and if you look at your road tire, you'll see there's some letters and numbers on it. And what they tell you, if I'm not mistaken, is how fast and at what pressure your tire can run safely before it performs a really good imitation of what we saw on the cars today. Brad, feel free to jump in if he's talking rubbish. Yep, your load rating, your speed rating, continue. And so if you are unfortunate, and let's say that the pressure in your tire drops just that tiny bit, and by the way, if you were curious about how concerned Pirelli were about this, the Recommended pressures for the fronts were 25 PSI and for the rears were 21, which for a race tire is just, well, stupidly high, if I'm being honest. They're quite worried about the amount of energy that's being put through the tire by these cars at this speed. Wait, 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 Brad, um, high pressure bad for race tire safety? Um, no, normally it's, normally it's the opposite, that the high pressure is good because it means that there's less flex and there's less um, heat generated. Um, so I think I think that's what Matt's trying to say. It's why Pirelli always mandate higher tire pressures when they're uh, worried about the integrity of the tires. But not um, so good. The teams would yeah. like to run them at a lower pressure for performance, um, but they're Brilliant. forced to run them higher than the desired pressure. Got it. Okay, Matt. Right. So essentially what happens is as the contact, at the back of the contact patch, as the tire rotates, you create essentially a wave, like an ocean wave, an up and down wave that travels in the same direction as the tire. Okay. And this is, can be thought of as simply energy going into right where the sidewall meets the tread block. Van Gene, and a clarifying question. Like that, like in a circle. I yes. love that you assume that it's a question. You do assume correctly. Okay. So when you talk about when you talk about the wave, is that is that like when you see the slow mos and you see the tire moving in the slow mos? Is that kind of what you're talking about with regards to the wave in the tire? Kind of. A lot of times when we see it, it's going left and right. It's a lateral motion, but the actual standing wave moves the same direction as the tire. And the easiest way to think about it would be to think of something like a trampoline, where if I push down on the trampoline with a penny next to it, and then I lift up, the penny bounces up and down. Well, that bouncing up and down can be thought of as a wave going around the tire. As the pressure comes off of the tire, the back of the contact patch, you create a wave. And if the pressure gets to be a little bit lower than the engineers want, which is possibly going to happen at the end of a long stint, then that wave can have a sort of a, a harmonic resonance. Where its energy goes up really high, and then that can cause the separation that we saw on the tires. And the fact that it was so uniform Uh, is somewhat suggestive that that played a major role if it wasn't entirely defining. Now, if I've got that wave and some damage... yeah. Yeah, um, you get my point. Yeah, and there's there's also I think you know sometimes bridges fall down because the movement of the cars actually just matches the resonant frequency and can cause excessive vibrations and cause structural failure. Uh, Brad, how right is he getting this? And don't worry, everybody else, we're going to get back to some racing in just a little while. He's getting it very right, and and I was just going to point out just for absolute clarity, the tire hitting the hard flat floor the asphalt that's the fat kid jumping on the trampoline that's that's the the impact point that's happening over and over and over and and like matt says causing these these waves it could be a big boned kid not necessarily a fat kid 
Jeez. Uh, okay, Matt, come on. Get to the end of the, the science-y, tiry stuff so that we can talk some racing. Okay, so, so essentially what you have and what Pirelli is going to have to look at now, and, and they will, they will look at very carefully, microscopically, where the separation happened. They're going to have to determine whether it was these waves that caused it, in which case we should see even higher yeah. pressures for next <laughs> week's race. Hang on. Whether whether it was Ooh. the curbs or the debris that caused it, in which case you're going to see maybe more marshals or better cleaning equipment for next week's race. Um, but what I do want to say is that if it is the waves, yeah, the fact that they're talking about softer tires next week won't necessarily make a difference. Although you may see even more conservative stent length estimations from Pirelli to keep this from happening. Just one more suggestion on where some potential damage might have happened. And this would have affected front left, although I think it's vastly more likely that it's just, you know, general abuse from from Silverstone. Yeah. Um, did anyone notice how much dirt drivers were taking on the exit of Beckett? Yes. Um, which I've not really seen that often in the past. And it's obviously not a part of the track. It's not designed to be driven on. A lot of times working at race circuits when I've been you know, working in the evening, in the summer, painting curbs, all that kind of thing, like some of the marshals would have been doing at Silverstone the last couple of weeks. Um, I've noticed very sharp pieces of granite just off the race, sorry, just off the racing surface where cars have run wide and just dug away at the soft soil on top. Yeah. You do get quite a few sharp stones poking through in that kind of area. So total speculation, but all that kind of thing can contribute to, to little bits of damage over and over. Well, certainly uh, on that final left-hander before you go down the hangar straight, the cars were able to put their left wheels into the dirt, but still remain on track. And over the course of the weekend, you know, perhaps that soil's gone away and you've got more of a sharp cliff where the tarmac ends. Matt? Yeah, and uh, the one argument against the Kvyat, uh, against the against the Kimi thing, might be that we also saw a weird failure on Kvyat's car. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just a puncture there. Or if it was the same kind of thing, because it was so much more immediate because of where he was in the lap. But I think that will probably be definitive in terms of whether it's a standing wave or whether it was damage due to, as Brad says, maybe going off track or, or other issues. Okay, so let's get back to the action. Uh, Valtteri Bottas's tire explodes. He has to do a whole lap to get back to the pits, and that throws him uh, back in the, the muck and the dirt of the midfield. And Crofty, the commentator, oh, by the way, I really enjoy, I enjoy Crofty. He's got an amazing energy, um, much in the same sort of style as uh, Jake Sanson, who's been on here, who I've worked with in karting races, who brings you the excitement of that race. And like Murray Walker, I'm more than happy to forget, to forgive the odd inaccuracy if overall you're adding to my race experience. So he comes under a lot of stick, but David Croft calling the race on lap one, telling you exactly what was happening and picking out at the back of a TV picture which car it was that went off at um, Abbey and uh, and building up like an excitement, like my heartbeat raced faster with his voice. Now, that is a genuine and precious skill. That's why he's in F1. Not sure I'm a massive fan of his during the practice sessions. Not, you know, quite a lot of dad bants, but, you know, that is part of just filling airtime. Um, it but, does do amazing pirate jokes, though. <laughs> There's a heck of a lot of dad jokes. But when you have time and space to fill, it does get that way. And I've done a, a few 24-hour cart events in the commentary booth, and uh, boy, do you go off in uh, in random directions. Uh, however, what I can't quite forgive Brad is him after the 
after Bottas had lost his tyres, they showed an onboard and he went, Hamilton as well. Hamilton's also lost his tyre. And I went, oh my God, you idiot. Why would you assume that that would happen to Hamilton as... Oh, 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 I guess it did. But honestly, my, I was swearing heavily at the TV in front of children. Yeah, at the moment he, the moment Crofty said that, and I was watching the onboard, not paying attention to particularly which Mercedes driver it was, <laughs> but I was pretty sure we'd just been following Bottas yes. up to that point on the track. And when he said it was Hamilton, I was thinking, why has Hamilton dropped back as far as Bottas at this point? And then he obviously corrected himself and then turned out <sighs> to be correct. Didn't, didn't Hamilton's on- name appear on the screen as well, though? Ah, uh, okay. It, 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 did that happen? That was that was. I think that's what got me. Was he said it, and then I saw Hamilton's name on the screen. Oh, okay. And then I then I collapsed, and my heart nearly stopped. Okay. Well, and I guess it stopped so, anyway. So we'll kind of forgive him there. But the the moment stands where everyone went just went. <gasps> no, it can't be. And then, of course, two laps later, it turns out he was basically Mystic Meg, and uh, and Hamilton's tire does indeed go, and uh, and. From there, you know, you go, well, we've seen cars nurse it back to the pits before. Uh, he, he seemed to go past the pit lane entry, so he chose not to pit. And you go, wow, he's actually going to try and, and push this all the way to the finish line. And you could see when he got through Maggots and Beckett, you went, how, how much is he going to go for it down Hangar Straight? And, and he did. He, you started seeing that wheel spinning and you thought, man, that's going to tear up. Uh, Brad, would you have made that same decision? Three wheels, last lap, you're leading the British Grand Prix. You pit because you've only got three wheels. You need four wheels, but he didn't do that. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. No, so, so obviously everyone would have done exactly what Hamilton did. And... um. And I think he was perfectly safe to do so. You know, the cars are so stiff and the way I spoke with Matt about this earlier, the way the tire failed, it wasn't flailing around. 
um, the way it was just a full sidewall or shoulder failure meant that the actual tread of the the tire was kind of staying in the same place whilst um, you know the, the wheel obviously also wasn't rotating because there was nothing forcing it to rotate but the point being that there was no friction causing the tire to tear apart and then flap around and smash the car to pieces and leave debris everywhere and I think the worry initially would have been for Bottas and for Hamilton that bits of the car were going to go everywhere. Um, and then maybe there would be safety cars. Maybe that's why Verstappen made his pit stop so that he might be able to benefit from a safety car bunching everyone up whilst the Mercedes um, you know, were then uh, left to be swallowed up by him at the end. But I certainly would have made exactly the same decision as Hamilton, drive around just fast enough to get to the finish ahead whilst not going off or, or crashing. Right. So I think I would have done the same thing, except for in the race, I believe his tire actually fell, failed near the end of the Wellington straight after he was on the last lap. And so it was really oh. into Brooklyn's and Luffield where he uh, had the problem. Okay, so I, got, and I, I believe yeah. that's why Verstappen made his pit stop because he felt that they weren't going to catch Hamilton and would rather have the extra point for fastest lap plus he was having vibration issues with his tire and i believe horner was in a rare bold move being a bit conservative perhaps and since he had a free pit stop let's bring him in put him on new tires we know he'll finish he'll get fast lap and that's the best we're going to do in this race until oh look hamilton's tire exploded the first shot we got of lewis with his damaged tire was actually as he was coming past the old pits which is why it looked like right. um, he'd just gone Got past it. the pit lane. Yeah. And then he came into Cops, and the guys on Sky noticed this. As he comes into Cops, he makes an adjustment on his steering wheel. And then he confirmed it in the, um, in the, in the interview afterwards that he was changing the diff and fully locking the diff. Now, I'm not big on diff, so my question is going to go to Brad, because I know Brad knows about differentials. Why, going into that corner, would you lock up, fully lock up a diff with a tyre hanging off your car? And briefly, yeah, what so- is a diff? <laughs> reasonably um straightforward he had a front left failure so there's a lot of right handers that means the car is going to be trying to lean over onto that front left when you carry any kind of speed through a corner which means the right rear will effectively be being picked up off the floor because the cars are very stiff um you know you're pivoting on that left rear front right axis diagonally across the car um and that would mean then the inside wheel would then spin when you got on the power so by locking the diff you prevent that from happening because the inside wheel can't spin unless the outside wheel spins and that's the one with the weight on it. So he's just allowing himself to drive around on three wheels a bit more easily without spinning one of the rear wheels and causing himself additional handling problems. Now, to do that and to think about that almost instantaneously after it happens, that's quite impressive, is it not? To have that thing or would they all kind of think towards that? Would you have thought of that or would you be too busy panicking that you've lost the wheel? So firstly, it's, it's never a tool I've had available in any race car I've ever raced. I've never had any kind of differential electronic adjustment. Um, but certainly if you come up through high-level single-seater racing um, and you will have suffered punctures at various times in your career, and so it would have definitely been something that you probably wouldn't have done it the first time. And then an engineer yeah. would have said to you, oh, if that happens again, just lock the diff. It'll make it easier to get back to the pits. And so he will have just remembered that and so, had to use it loads of times. So, okay, so it looks like I've got a jump on Brad here in experience in vehicles. Well, this doesn't happen very often. So I've done uh, off-roading in like heavy vehicles uh, where, you know, you have to go from like road in like a seven ton, 14 ton truck into like deep, uh, deep crevices, uh, mud. So different types of standing surface. Um, Sometimes, you know, just have to just go over stuff. You know, there's no road there. Make my own road. Um, So you have to obviously use the diff lock there 
because uh, you don't want... Uh, sometimes you want each wheel to, to make the best use of the available grip and traction. Sometimes you only have it on the left. So you want to really quickly lock that and go, right, you, righty, do what lefty does. And in that situation, Alex, you are just very much trained to do that as part of the driving the car. So I think that would have become um, instinctive. So I think that would have been kind of trained into them. And it's all just part of how the car feels. So it's a bit like... I'll, I'll I'll use iRacing as an example. If I'm locking the front wheels into a particular corner, I instinctively know to roll the, the brake bias back. It's yeah. kind of the same sort of thing. Is that, is that again, fair, I've Brad? Never had to use, I've never yeah. had to use a diff. Before. Is that fair, Brad? Because I think people can understand front and rear diff a little bit uh, differently, uh, better. Yeah, it's, it, that, that's exactly it. And, and obviously anyone who's ever driven in the snow and they find that they're trying to pull away and they find just one of the tyres is yeah. spinning, yeah. it's the same reason. It's because all, all the all the power is being sent to the one which is freest moving. Yeah. And if you were able to lock your diff, you might actually be able to pull away. It's kind of, it's the same, but in Formula One terms. Yeah. Okay. Look, that was good. And just to round off that, that how excitement, how exciting that segment was, uh, me and my son were absolutely just losing it. My wife had sat innocently down behind us on a cup of, with a cup of tea. She was sat on the sofa. Me and the boy correctly were sat on cushions as close to the TV as we could get. Oh, don't sit in front of the TV. Your eyes will go square. No, it's 2020. We don't have cathode ray tubes shooting electron beams into our eyes anymore. I'll get as close as I want. We now have TV screens that we put on our face. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. I spend quite a lot of time in the evenings with VR on my head. That is literally two st- screens strapped as close to my face as possible. My dad would have gone uh, mental had he had he seen it. So uh, my wife turned to me and said, as Lewis Hamilton's tire went, so we're going absolutely nuts. And she went, do you have to? Do you have to be like that? And I wonder how many people listening also came under spousal pressure. I turned around and I'm not brave and uh, I am certainly not the equal of my wife. I turned around and suddenly with the, you know, you know how you get like internet balls. I got F1 balls and I turned around. And I went, yes, I do have to be like that. Shush. And then I turned around and went, oh, so I spent quite a lot of that time, Brad, fearing for my life, but also just so gripped by the action. My fiance came in for that exact uh, that exact moment of the race, the final couple of laps, and she said to me, "You know they can't hear you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The world can hear you, Matt." But she screams at football when Liverpool uh, are doing well. Dear, there's no account. So for let's taste. be very clear about this. When his tire went, there was a 20 second gap to Verstappen. As he went round and got closer and closer to winning the race. That gap came down until when he crossed the line, it was five seconds. And according to him, I could hear Max coming. <laughs> it was that kind of a finish. You yeah. just, oh man, it was, I was yelling. See, don't, I was yelling. Don't listen to Brad's fiance. I think Lewis Hamilton could hear all of us cheering from our sofas. Uh, Alex. I, th- I think it was more like 34 seconds after the pit stop. Um, and he actually said he can hear him coming because Bono kept on telling him the time, literally counting down second by second by second um, is what he meant, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, right. Well, that ruins it. Um, okay, that's a uh, black and white well, flag. Well, never mind then. That's a black and white flag for Alex Van Jean for ruining He did come tension. back with 30 seconds rather than coming back with 15 seconds, which is a hell of a lot more impressive. Let's move on. Let's, let's go down. Let, let's talk about Red Bull. We've already said, you know, their pace it was good. It was actually good in in race trim, Matt. And 
uh, if they are struggling for ultimate pace in qualifying, I still don't think we can completely discount them in the race. And as you said, in, in one and last, they are close enough to, to be a factor. So Mercedes still definitely have to think about Max Verstappen. And, and, and I've said Max Verstappen and not Red Bull because currently they're only having to worry about Max Verstappen. Yeah, they are. So it's hard to argue with Max's race. He did get kind of bored in the middle bit, but then the end got kind of exciting. So fair enough. They're not there with their qualifying. They don't understand their car as well as they'd like to, or they have problems that they're not able to solve yet. But to me, the interesting question here is what do we make of Albon's drive today? We know for qualifying, he was compromised thanks to his crash, thanks to not getting out for FP3. But did he do what would have been expected of him in the race today? So I don't, I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that because of the events that transpired. Um, I've had it pointed out to me in the chat that he had extra pit stops. And so you can't necessarily judge his pace, you know, coming through the field later on in the race against some, some of the other cars he was against because the tire life wasn't comparable, which I think is a fair comment. Um, but I think we're kind of pointing towards one particular incident that stopped us from seeing whether Albon um, achieved what you'd have expected him to do, which was when he came together with um, Magnussen. Yeah, but the question is... Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Right. I think we've got a complete split down the panel. Okay, look, um, just a general note to people who email the show and leave angry messages in the YouTube comments. I think you'll generally find with these divisive uh, issues that actually we are split across the panel. And we're just honest because we don't have paymasters. The only paymasters we have are our patrons who support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Yes, got another one in. The bank manager will be happy. Um, They are our only paymasters. So we haven't got Autosport or Dennis Group breathing down our necks saying, don't be controversial, don't criticise this driver, don't argue. We love an argument. We are passionate, passionate F1 fans. And, um, you know, as comes up in a lot of emails we get, we are each other's F1 friends. So when people email and say, you guys feel like our F1 friends uh, when we're listening to the podcast, I mean, samesies, it's the same for us too. When we go to the Slack group, uh, Twitter, Facebook group, or talk to each other here on on WhatsApp and um, on the podcast, we're each other's face uh, F1 friends as well. Because uh, when my relatives or, or or my friends politely ask me about F1, because they're like, you, you, Richard, you, you're into the F1, aren't you? Oh, how do you think Vettel's going to do this year? Do you think he's going to win? And I go, oh, God, they don't actually know anything about F1. They're just trying to make small talk with me. And now I've got to sit here and, oh, I don't want to have this conversation. I want to have a conversation with people like Matt, people like Brad, people like Alex, to some extent, Kyle and Catman. Also, Nick is there, Steve, uh, and all the other people who come on the show. And, and you guys are my F1 family. And I feel incredibly privileged to have it, have you guys to talk to. But part of that is passion. And we love to argue. And the Whose Fault Is This segment actually came from the first podcast I ever did, which was with my wife. And uh, me and my wife have a very combative relationship 
where, unlike Mercedes, we like to assign blame. So here at Missed Apex Podcast, we have no such thing as a racing incident. Somebody must be more to blame than the other. So we're looking at um, the lap something something incident between Albon and Magnussen. And I will first go to, uh, I know Brad's got the strongest opinion. So I'm going to go to Alex first, because he might be an easier mark. Alex, Alex Albon has now been involved in three crashes in six races. He keeps finding himself in situations where he could have backed out and he didn't. And here, he's gone for a gap that was always going to close. He went for a gap that didn't exist on turning uh, to the corner. He has, again, shown himself to, in racing situations, be impatient, and he's ended up wrecking his own race. He is the F1 driver equivalent of Mr. Britus from the British Empire, crossing a zebra crossing, lying in the hospital bed going, oh, yes, but technically it was my right of way. Doesn't matter. Three races, he's had his results ruined. I'm putting this on Alex Albon. He has been become a little bit of the crash kid, hasn't he, this season um, and the back end of last season. But to be fair, the move he went for was valid because Magnussen got it wrong going over those very horrible sausage curbs on the right-hander before the final corner, um, which sent him off wide. And he was busy getting himself straightened out, trying not to spin the car. And Albon went for the move. Um, and K-Mag didn't see it coming and just closed the door like he wasn't even there. That's why, in my opinion, it's K-Mag's fault because K-Mag didn't see it coming. There was yeah. loads and loads of room to get out of the way. And yeah. if he'd seen it coming, he would have got out of the way. I just think he was too busy trying to collect himself that he didn't see it coming. Um, the only point i will put against albon was it was a tiny bit marginally mm. half-assed because he then kind of backed out but maybe he backed out because he saw Ma um k mag hadn't seen him but um i i still land this 80 20 oh, okay at, see that's not that's door. not agreeing with me enough as you know alex my my dream is to be just surrounded by sycophantic yes men, and you're you're really you picked the wrong people. Yeah, mate. I really have picked entirely <laughs> the wrong panel. But I think before we go to Brad, I think Matt slightly agrees with me here. I think that when all the decisions were made about where to go, there was no overlap. K Mag's entitled to turn in. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I find very interesting about this is it reminded me so very very much of Brazil last year when Albin was in front. And went a little bit wide, but came back to the racing line. And our friend Lewis stuck his nose in. There was contact. Albin was out. Lewis took the blame. And everyone said, yeah, that's it. Now, I know this is not an acceptable use of Bradley Philpott's, uh, Bradley Philpott's trademarked lane system. However, uh, the stewards made the decision. It was Lewis's fault. Here we have Magnuson as... As Jeansy says, he made a mistake, hit that curb, went wide, came back to the racing line. Albin's nose was stuck up the inside and to the surprise of absolutely no one, uh, collected Magnuson's rear wheel, which sent Magnuson off and ended his race. And he was having a really good start. Yeah. I'll hand it to Haas. They may not be there for the whole race, but they certainly <laughs> made the start kind of lively. Yeah. And, and you're not wrong. I think when you have a mistake like that, your situational awareness shrinks. You're much more concerned with just trying to get Keep back to where track. you were. Yeah. And that's why I go the exact opposite way and say, Alvin should have been aware. 
Yeah, low Magnuson percentage. He's been yeah. less aware than normal. And he was all over the back of him because he lost so much time. That pass was just going to happen in the next corner is all if he'd been the slightest bent patient. Yeah, so it's, again, it's a low percentage move. And I, and I believe we've ran uh, out of time now for that. So, oh, fine, Brad's gone. No, Bradley Philpot, then Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to filibuster. Thank you. <laughs> to quote a line from Hamilton the Musical, Rap Battle 2, <laughs> Why, you though? must be out of your goddamn mind if you think... That was Albon's fault in the slightest. What? Because let me explain the mechanics of this situation. Okay. You've got a car which you know is directly behind you, fighting you for position, and it's a much faster car. So it's likely to get better exits than you from every corner. You then make a pretty large mistake, clip a curb too hard in a slow corner, run wide. Your immediate thoughts should be, that car is coming up my inside. You then take a cursory glance at your right mirror, which would then show you that that car is up your inside. It has fluorescent bits on it. You can't miss it. It's a big Formula One car. If you then decide that you want the apex, that that car already has some of its car on, any of that lane, you are then deciding to spin yourself out. And I would I'd use this argument in any racing, not just Formula One. If you try and drive into a space that there is already a car occupying, you are the one making the decision to have a crash. And Albon was not at fault in exactly the same re- for exactly the same reason that Hamilton also wasn't at fault in Brazil because Albon did this to him. He drove into a space where there already was a car. This was a worse situation today, though, for K-Mag. This was, he made a bigger mistake because he was the one that had initially slowed himself down, caused a mistake, and should have seen a car coming. Okay, so uh, Michael Dieselhoff in the chat says that's a weirdly specific quote from Hamilton the musical. This is not weird to us. You know him as a Bradley Philpot race driver guy. Uh, we know him as bloke who's weirdly obsessed with musicals. And if you've ever had to share a car with Bradley Philpot and Chris Stevens at the same time, all they do for the entire time is rap at each other from musical raps. Um, Brad, I'm sorry to out you like this, but it's weird and you're weird. Right. I need to just carry on with this point. Just, just to close off a couple of other arguments. <laughs> okay. Then we'll this. go to Vanji. So, okay. So um, the, uh, the fact that there's a precedent set that the, the stewards penalize the person who is making a legitimate overtake is kind of by the by, it's kind of irrelevant. The stewards just get this wrong. There is some fundamental issue where the yeah. stewards don't understand the very basics of racing etiquette. And this is one of them. You, you cannot just turn in on a car that's on your inside and expect them to disappear. The fact that Magnussen, someone, I've seen someone in the chat say Magnussen was in front. So what? Every car that gets overtaken is at some <laughs> point in the move in front. That's, that's true. how overtaken that's works. That's true. Um, I've also seen someone say that um, if Hamilton was at fault at Austria, then Albon was at fault here. I think it's slightly different because in Austria, you didn't have a car on the outside driving to an apex. You were talking much more about a corner exit where the car on the outside was kind of going straight and there was a car running wide towards them. So they're not really the same kind of incident. Um, this is just, it was just obvious. I, I sent it immediately in our WhatsApp chat. All the drivers who knew that were t- what they were talking about immediately agreed with me, um, Van Jean and Carl. And hey! it's just, I just can't <laughs> see how, I just can't see how in any way it's Albon's fault unless you are outlawing overtaking or saying it's a legitimate defense to just drive into a car that happens to be overtaking you. Okay, Van Jean, the reason I immediately went, it's got to be Albon's fault and a penalty. And I was correct, by the way, um, technically correct, which is my favourite kind of correct, is because of precedent. And I think we have seen that F1 stewards will tend to punish 
the driver that, that goes up the inside, the driver that goes for the gap and will more often than not always punish the one whose, whose nose is behind as well. So that's what I was basing on precedent. And you're right with regards to that. They have been they have been doing that. They've been blaming the car on the inside. But as Brad just pointed out, that's not correct. Um, so I think it's a fundamental. Um, they've obviously got something written down in their regulations that say, right, you can't be on the inside. It's like, well, then we're never going to have any overtaking. Yeah. Um, but I just want to go back a little bit to Matt's point before about um, Albon saw K Mag make a mistake, therefore he should have been wary. No, as a racing driver, you see the driver in front make a mistake and you pounce. That's an opportunity. That that's how you get past people, isn't it? Do you remember GNG? <laughs> no, I don't. When we were racing at the old Silverstone in the FR 2.0, I was racing. And you yeah. went wide at cops, and I came up, and then you crashed into me and accused me of running you off the circuit, even though you had made a huge mistake and gone wide. And the only mistake I made was misjudging how quickly you were going to come back on. Sounds track. like I'm joking, but no, I you're, don't. You're, you're, yeah, no, that <laughs> totally happened, no by the way. Whatsoever. And I remember it because. Because I rage quit yeah. because Spanners immediately said that was your fault too. And I was like, no, the dude made a mistake. That was my spot to have. I completely had him on pace. He just got back on track quicker okay. than I thought. Okay. So, yeah. so, but wait, wait. in general, let's not use specific iRacing events from two months ago to, to prove whose fault is I this stuff. thought it might be kind of funny if I did that. Well, Jeansy does honest. have a habit, though, of going, well, yeah. I didn't. It's not my fault I punted him from behind. Yeah. He was going anyway. slower than I would have expected. But the point I want to actually make about Brad's entire defense of Albon is it seems to entirely hinge on the fact that Magnussen should clearly have seen him in the what we all know to be incredibly clear and easy to see out the back of wing mirrors on Formula One cars. Because there's no way, given the helmet restriction, he would have seen him out of his peripheral vision. Therefore, it had to have been in the mirror. And we all know that Formula One mirrors are perhaps... Uh, next to the pace of Williams in a race, the okay. most useless things on track. Okay, let's so see. Vanjie been behind him for the whole lap. You know where your rival is. Even if you can't necessarily see in your mirror, you know where your rival is. It is racing instinct. If the gap is on the inside, as in you are on the outside, the gap is the place where the other car will go. And I, I don't know whether, Matt, in your VR headset, you have um, 3D sound, uh, certainly on mine. I can hear where the other cars are. I appreciate Formula One cars loud, but you can feel the buzz of where they are. You have multiple senses. You have your prior knowledge of, I've run wide a bit. Oh, the other guy's probably going to go up the inside. He's not going to go around the outside, is he? If you've run wide, he's going up the inside. So you just these are things that you just know as, as a race driver. And then you've got your mirrors and your, your ears at the same time. Um, also, later in the race, when Lando overtook Stroll and and he got past him, he even said in his interview, his mirror wasn't working. And because my mirror wasn't working, I left a big gap because I thought that's where he'd be. He didn't need to. He looked like he completely missed the corner, but he didn't. He said, I left a gap because he was coming. I couldn't see him, so I left the gap, which is what K-Mag should have done. All right. I think we've got to move on from this, gents. But it, Matt, well, no, Matt doesn't want us to move on. Go on. No, I was just going to make the point. Norris was doing the overtaking there. And in the situation, Albin was doing the overtaking. So inherently, those were different things. Okay, panel does and not want to move on, point out, Brad. <laughs> so I was just going to say that my my excellent argument in defense of Albin has earned $9.99 from Maria <laughs> Antero on the Super Chat. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Maria says, we'll definitely have to listen to the pod again tomorrow. Thank you, Maria, because that's an extra download uh, and, and helps us go up the charts. Uh, but I loved tuning into the live chat and reading the live comments. 
extra dollars for all the tyre talk and Brad's Hamilton quote. So thanks, Brad. I will give you a small, undisclosed cut. <laughs> and Thank I have you. to say, as, as far as the live chat goes, um, we have two stats. We have the amount of simultaneous people who are in the chat room at any one time, and we have the total amount of people who tune in. And I'm looking at that at the moment. There's 754 people chatting live while we talk about Formula One, and that is... A massive thrill, and thank you to everybody who tunes in. I expect from that figure that 4,000 people will tune into our um, into the, the live broadcast as a whole. We'll get another seven or 8,000 viewers on the, uh, the finished YouTube video, and we'll get about 14,000 people downloading. So it's a massive audience, and it never stops being a thrill. Thank you. Please, if you're enjoying uh, Miss Apex podcast, and it's your first place to go after a race uh, on a Monday, we do work hard and I do stay up late to make sure it's ready for your Monday morning commute. Share a link with your friends. If you just share mistapexpodcast.com with your friends in your WhatsApp groups, in a Facebook group, uh, you click there and you go straight to a choice of the YouTube video or the audio. So please, please, please help us to get your friends hooked on Missed Apex Podcast as well and add to what I think is a wonderful F1 community of fans. All right, moving on. Uh, let's see, we, we've got loads to cover and not that much time to do it. I think we must we must go to Racing Point and Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, jumping into a car that you don't know has over the years proved to be incredibly problematic. I think I'll probably will go to Brad, who's got the ex- most experience of jumping in between race cars. Um, but Paul DeResta, uh, who jumped in, yes, into qualifying that was insane but he was seconds off the pace and when you look at uh Kovalainen who came from an actual F1 car in that same season and moved up to Lotus and found it very very difficult Nico Hulkenberg oh and Jensen Button as well I guess but Nico Hulkenberg has no right at all to be on pace uh, with an F1 car I don't think anyone should have expected him to jump in and be on pace with I'm going to get some hate here. Even Lance Stroll, um, the 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 substitute driver role, Brad, is uh, in, an incredibly poison chalice. I agree. Um, the worst example of this probably being Luca Padua back in right. whenever that was, um, or look how bad you are, as Martin Brundle um, named him. Um, yeah, it's really really tough to just jump in a car when you've got other drivers who are who are used to that specific car, all the controls exactly how that car feels i think it's very easy just to think oh yeah all all the race cars are the same all formula one cars are going to feel roughly the same and to a point they will um but when you've been out of it and other people haven't been out of it then it is tough although i just want to point out holgenberg's only actually been away for three races so it's not like i know i know he's had a long time away and he didn't do the testing but it's not like some other drivers where he's had a really long time but brad doesn't the fact that he was like in practice sessions about half a second off stroll i mean that's reflective of that isn't it that's that seems about right. Like DeResta was was seconds off when he jumped in, you know, last minute in a competitive session. Yeah, I think DeResta had been away for a few years, but even so, I, I agree. I don't think um, Hulkenberg was that far off, really. And I think given the race, given some more seat time just to, I mean, even in free practice three, I think he really closed the gap on Stroll. And that's just part of, you know, actually having a full night's sleep. And, and having some chance for your, you know, your subconscious to process it. I always find if you, I'm sure I've said this to Alex before, and maybe even to you, if you're, if you're racing in a certain event 
and you know you have your qualifying or your practice day just going to bed and sleeping on it you'll just arrive a little bit faster the next day a little bit more prepared and with a you know like a renewed focus on the on the things that you need to focus on to get the most out of the vehicle um, and i'm sure that would have helped him too it's just a shame he didn't actually get the full well length, or any length race to practice today well I, I tweeted this yesterday about the hulkenberg curse and i don't judge nico hulkenberg you know my question on twitter was would you make the same deal with the devil van Jean? that Nico Hulkenberg clearly did. As a, if you're a 10-year-old kid who's trying to get into racing, <laughs> you know, as Brad was, and, you know, the devil comes down and says, OK, you will be tall. Oh, I like that. Chicks like tall people. All right. Or you go, oh, you will be rich and successful and a racing driver. You will be incredibly handsome. But I will curse you to never get a podium. <laughs> Van Jean, do you take that deal? I have two halves of my brain going, uh-huh. yeah, F1 driver and loads of money. Yes, please. I'll, I'll, I'll handle not that. But <laughs> the competitive half of my brain is going, no, yeah. not at all. Interesting, so I, I am kind of split on that, but I, was, I would never have been good enough. So yeah, I'd take it. <laughs> Brad, would you take it? Because that definitely happened. I have empirical evidence that Beelzebub offered this deal to Hulkenberg and he took it. Is it not obvious that I took it? <laughs> okay. Well, that's the that that career is what you gave uh, gave up a deal for the devil with. Yeah, we we kind of went for like a halfway house. Oh, right. Okay, I see. It was like a what did you what did you have to give up in return? Uh, but for Holkenberg, I mean, geez, when you talk about his bad luck and podiums, yes, he's been the architect of his own downfall a lot of times. But you kind of sense that the the podium wasn't going to happen, and the fates had something in store. And sure enough, the car wouldn't start. And I don't think that surprised anyone. <laughs> Okay, good. Well, obviously that bad luck, bad luck aside, it will be interesting to see how he does in the second Silverstone race. He's effectively now had a testing session. He's had an extended test period at Silverstone and now he gets to do a whole nother race weekend as well. So good luck to Nico Hulkenberg uh, in that race. And I think we're expecting Sergio Perez to possibly be back for Barcelona. Alex? And he kind of showed Stroll up a little bit, to be honest. I think he okay. kind of showed... I think he, I think he, he, the fact that he could come and be that close to Stroll, um, who's been in the car all the way through preseason testing and all that, I think he's done a, well, yeah, I, I think he did it. I think, I think he did a great, I mean, I fully expected yeah. Nico to be that good because Nico has been a little bit of a robot and he's always been on the pace, but he's just missed that little extra bit of special that's put him in the right positions. Um, but to be, a little bit off stroll and then obviously screw up his last qualifying. Yeah. But um, I think he did. A, I think he did a great job. And I think it then compounded the way stroll performed this weekend. So there's so many variables. I think it's very hard to make a true comparison between uh, Hulkenberg and Perez, certainly, and hard to compare, compare Hulkenberg to stroll. It would have been nice to see the race and we could have had a bit more information, remove some more of those variables. Um, but we've come under like consistent criticism as a podcast, and I, I, I'm betting all other popular podcasts have as well, um, about criticising Stroll. And we have rightly criticised Stroll, I believe, for the last few seasons. And me and Matt have argued greatly because I believe that that Williams car was hobbled by having Stroll there. Um, the point I made to, to Joe Sayward on Inside F1, uh, the next one, which is on Tuesday. Joe's coming to see us on Tuesday and pop into the shed, uh, maybe even literally. Was that he's got so much more, so had so many more chances than everyone that he's now getting to a point where he can kind of hold his own. 
And I have in the past as well, half jokingly, but half seriously said, they've got the resources to make things happen, uh, have the strolls. So when uh, when Lance Stroll was uh, topping FP3, I got quite a few emails and uh, and comments that were basically, <laughs> what say you now? And I don't know. I I think let's look at let's look at peaks, not troughs. He's a com- in a competitive car that clearly has the pace that has been demonstrated over the last uh, o- over the last four races, Matt. But when it came down to the race, racing point, i.e., stroll, were completely nowhere. Now this is again too many variables, but it would be very easy to say Lance Stroll was the lead driver for this weekend. All the setups were led by Stroll. Perez wasn't there, and oh look suddenly they're fighting for a single point. It's very easy to say that, but I would say that perhaps Racing Point is on the edge of their knowledge dealing with these tires at a circuit like this, and I will politely ask you to cast your mind back to the first wet race where they were disastrously bad, and then they said, okay, we've looked at the data, and now we figured out what's going on. And then at the next race, they were much, okay. next time there was okay. water on the track, they, they were much better off. Okay. So, okay, well, look, look, we can do that, right? But yeah. what, what happens, let's set some parameters going forward, because this is a big debate, you know. Um, we, we just so happen, you're basically saying it's an unfortunate coincidence that Lance Stroll is leading the team, and they suddenly plummet from the top of the grid right down to sort of around the top 10, Right, so that, that 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 could be true. That could just be that circumstance that you've said, i.e., reasons. If uh, Nico Hulkenberg if Nico Hulkenberg comes in the next race, for example, and finishes fifth, and Stroll is twelfth, and nothing extraordinary has happened, we start to build up that evidence, right? Yeah, absolutely. What I'm saying is, this is racing point beyond the limit of understanding their car. They did not set it up to deal with the tires properly because it's a brand new concept for them. They've copied it from Mercedes, which they freely admitted, and they don't have the built-in institutional knowledge about how to set the car up properly to make it to the end of the race with the tires being relatively intact, whereas other teams that haven't done that did. So so it could be we see a better racing point next weekend because now they have the data to work with. Spanners, you often tell us not to look at individual results, but but to look more at trends over a period of time. So I I would be interested to know, if you were to take Lance Stroll versus Sergio Perez over their time together at uh, Racing Point, and you took the average gap in qualifying or maybe race pace between the two of them, um, and you then, rather than taking this, the, the couple of races we've had this season so far in isolation, if you took the general trend and you took like an average of, of the how far ahead Perez has been of Stroll, um, how far ahead you would have expected Perez to have been in front of Stroll this weekend had he right. been fully fit and able yeah, to yeah. race. Yeah, oh, well, and then to sort of, you know, it's clumsy, but then kind of extrapolate what kind of performance Racing Point might have had. And, and given actually yeah, the, the, been- the bigger difference has been race pace between the two o- over that time. I was just going to say, would would that then mean Perez was, you know, fighting for the top five or six uh, while yeah. Stroll was, you know, outside? Because he would have then had an extra car in front of him as well. Well, Alex, Alex, it was such a competitive well. midfield. It really was. But also with a with a with such a big jump in their car this year, could it just be this car actually suits Lance better? Yeah. So Lance yeah. can perform in it better. The fact that they have completely copied the Mercedes philosophy and it's an, maybe an easier car to drive, therefore Lance can get more out of it than he could. But he looked at C today 
Yeah. There is no reason for where, you know, that car is arguably the third, second, third best yeah. car on the grid. And he was languishing down in eighth. Where did he ended up ninth in the end, I think. Just not good enough in okay. that car. Okay. Um, but, but Brad. And it's a shame yeah. because he has done really well and we've tried to give him some props this year. No, uh, yeah, that's a great point, Alex. I'm glad you got that in. Brad, we, we have been very generous to him this year. We've said he's fighty. We've said he's looked more on the pace than ever before. Uh, Ivan in the chat says, would he, adv- would he have survived as a Red Bull junior? Well, like no one does, but I think that's a fair point as well. But we've actually given him praise where praise has been due. It's just that today, let's not even say Stroll, Racing Point had a, had a shocker today based on the potential that we, we all seem to see in them. Yes, and if we're talking about that particular driver, um, Racing Point's driver who was in the race, was kind of back to their normal... Um, not very specific, a little bit aloof post-race interview where they didn't really pinpoint anything specific. They just said, oh yeah, it was hard today, something along those lines. And that was kind of the stroll of old. So he seems to be a little bit more chatty and and upbeat, obviously when things are going well, like most people are. Um, But I just, I hope that behind the scenes when he's talking to engineers, he's a bit more direct and specific and focused on where they need to improve because he's not like that with the media at all. It's very much like, I've been wronged. The car just wasn't good enough today. And uh, obviously, look, disclosed, you know, you know, I'm a big Perez fan. Uh, absolutely was devastated that he couldn't do these races, not just, you know, for his personal championship and his personal races, um, but also because I, I really want to get down. I want to solve this riddle of, you, you know, has Stroll really taken a big step forward? And I'd love to know what is the true potential of, of that racing point. And as a Perez fan... I felt that he's been off the last few races and I'm I'm really hoping that that is a a dip and not a trend and and that was why I was you know also really disappointed because I wanted to see Perez back in the car fighting at Silverstone on a front limited track uh, and and just see you know and really see what the situation is there. Um let's go to more fanboyism though from Matt Trumpets and Matt boy oh boy your your study is warm that grey t-shirt is not hiding any of your perspiration. No, it's really not. It's kind of a warm day here. And yeah, well, what can I say? I'm a healthy guy. Well, there you go. And uh, it's also fair to say that probably your favorite driver on the grid is um, Esteban Ocon. Um, just thumped this weekend, destroyed by Ricardo in qualifying, dominated in the race, struggled to get past um, an ailing Lance Stroll. What say you? Um, did he not finish sixth? Did I miss something? Yeah, no, I mean, the whole Renault result was really good. <laughs> it was a yeah, really it, good it day. For- and, and, you know, it's funny you bring that up because to my knowledge, the pass Ricardo made on Stroll was at the dead beginning of the race when he was on the soft tire and uh, Stroll was on the medium tire. So Ricardo never had to get past the racing point, the singular racing point in the race. Uh, whereas... Ocon did. And I watched that battle because it was the only thing happening on track. I was very excited. He'd even Matt, made it onto television. But Matt, that's what happens when you qualify further ahead than your teammate. By one position. Still there? By one Danny, position. Danny, Danny, Danny Rick was on form today. He pulled some great moves at the beginning of that race and fought really hard and really deserved that. And Ocon didn't get there. Promise I'm not trying to wind that up. Well, I mean, like, I'm ignoring it because, first of all, this is, what, his fourth race back? He's not ignoring it. He finished in sixth. But but the point I wanted to make was watching the battle between Stroll and Ocon was very interesting to me because the racing point was pulling out uh, 
easily three-tenths on Ocon through the first sector. And Ocon was matching Ricardo's times there. And then in the next two sectors, he would make it back up. And it was just a matter of waiting till uh, Stroll's tires went off enough that he didn't have the traction out of the Vale chicane because he had the advantage yeah. out of the Vale chicane. He had the advantage out of, what is it, uh, Club Farm is the last turn before you go onto the Wellington Strait. The low-speed traction exits were a huge advantage for the racing point over the Renault. It was easy to see if you're watching the timing out. And once his tires went far enough off, Ocon got by him and, you know, sixth position fourth race back I don't know how anyone can be unhappy with okay, that Gonzo in our live chat suggests that Renault had the third best car in the race today I feel we should discuss this I don't agree you're you're nodding Jeansy but I reckon it goes uh, Mercedes Red Bull that the Ferrari is still the third quickest car and then you know you had it quite close between Renault and McLaren and Renault probably just ahead there no Leclerc in the Ferrari was a good was a good package but I think when you take um Renault as a package, when you take um, Ferrari as a package, team. there's a big gap there. Um, the argument could be is how close Mercedes, um, McLaren and Renault were. They were very, very close. Um, but Danny Rick put put quite a lot of, put a quite, excuse me, put quite a bit on both the, the McLaren drivers today. But Matt, we are very much still talking about Renault fighting McLaren. They can't, they can't clear that battle yet. They are... Their dogfight is beat McLaren. Turn up at the Grand Prix weekend, beat McLaren. Yeah, they're looking to be the team that is behind. Well, actually, I hate to say it. They need to beat Ferrari first because Ferrari is behind McLaren in the World Constructor Championships. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Look, um, I mean, McLaren's pace and Renault's pace looks decent. And they both look like really good outfits this year. Ferrari, unfortunately, it, it does look like a, a bit of a disaster zone. And it looks like on two occasions, Leclerc has been able to get the very, very best out of the car. Like, you know, if you have if you have four dice, uh, you can roll a 24. If you have uh, only three dice, you can roll an 18. Oh, that maths was pretty testing under pressure. Um, and Leclerc only has enough dice to roll an 18 compared to the Mercedes and the other packages. But he seems to be rolling that 18. And I think we need to give him credit because he's, he's done it twice now. And that's edging towards not a fluke. Look at Vettel, probably showing the true pace of the Ferrari uh, down in ninth or 10th. Well, Vettel's whole weekend was just a lost cause from the beginning. But as to Leclerc, I think he would not have been third had, of course, number one, Bottas' tire not exploded. But number two, I think the long safety car periods really benefited them. I don't think they had the race pace to have stayed there. I think they would have chewed up their tires uh, and they and yeah. Leclerc would have fallen farther back than he was. It just it timed out perfectly for oh, them. We know they ran low right. down for So it. you're saying for a race that didn't exist, they would have done a lot better or a lot worse. Whereas they, that race didn't exist. Today's race what existed. What I'm saying is if you don't have those same safety car periods in next week's race, right, that's you fair. might not expect <laughs> them to recreate this result. Perhaps that's what I was saying. Yeah. Okay. And um, and of course, yeah. Um, Renault probably need to be qualifying better, as uh, Ocon yeah. mentioned in the post-race interviews, to get the full potential. Probably unlucky that it is all on this track. So Silverstone quite hard to to get past uh, another car. Um, st- still possible to overtake and make a move. And look, Hungara ring that was dry, 
and people were making moves around Hungaroring. I don't think these cars are impossible to overtake in. Obviously, qualifying is still a massive, massive part of it. So um, I think a lot of optimism for for Renault fans, which hasn't necessarily been there the previous years. But it's not the battle for the top three that they've been looking for. I don't I don't think not right now. But but actually, if we think Ferrari is a little bit further down than today's result reflected, then the top three spots, the, the third spot is up for grabs. I just don't think they have it yet. That's all. No, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. Unlike McLaren, they haven't quite demonstrated a consistent ability to get their cars up into fourth, fifth, fifth, sixth as a pair. And let's and let's just remind ourselves that if Sainz's tire had not exploded, oh yes, that would have been a fourth, fifth for McLaren, and they would have been really hard to catch poor for anyone signs. else in the midfield at the yeah, point. Yeah, poor Sainz. Um, and I think uh, it, it's nice to see at McLaren there. There isn't the same like dirty, dogged desperation to get past each other. Like I genuinely think if if the McLaren drivers finish fifth and sixth, they are both like, yay, we finished fifth and sixth. I don't think they're sat there going, oh, it should have been the other way around. Obviously it will be there, but there seems a general team ethic. Now, the uh, Andreas Seidel for McLaren, he was on the pit wall for the first time uh, with the Sky Sky team. And he seems about as charismatic as your average house brick. However, he is a very calm uh, seeming personality. Maybe he has managed to instill something with those two drivers, which says don't get hung up about every single weekend having to be the one just ahead of your your guy. You know, it's a real, it's a genuine team effort. And we've not really heard the guys going, oh, he's holding me up. Norris said that Sainz was going slow because he had Ricardo going down his tail. It wasn't a pony. It wasn't jumping up and down trying to get them to swap. And then they're still bezies, you know, in the post-race interviews. So I've just got a good feeling that there's a real good team dynamic at McLaren, which we haven't always been able to say, have we, Matt? Oh, we've rarely been able to say. Uh, There were certain driver combinations, historically speaking, that were the dead opposite (laughs) of this at McLaren. And I think you're right. I think Seidel might have come in with enough authority to absolutely convince both his drivers that they can put their individual results aside to a small extent. Yes, to a small extent. Cooperate for the team. If, if If you finish fifth and the other guy finishes fourth, you've both finished fourth as far as we are concerned. But regarding Norris's comment, Let's let's recall that Signs was having trouble and vibrations on his tire and had been radioing in that for several laps when Norris made that call. So, uh, again, this is just how yeah. the tire issues played into and why it was Signs and not Norris. I'm not really sure. Probably something Pirelli will be looking at. All right. Let's move on to the podium. I don't know which button the podium's on. So this is going to be a bit of a journey of discovery. All right. Bear with me. Any noise could happen. I've got the right one. It's the podium. The 2020 British Grand Prix delivered, not on every single lap, but we saw a game of 4D chess developing. The midfield has never been tighter. In the whole time I've been watching F1, I would have been absolutely uh, delighted to see a midfield where the third place car was being Jet Leclerc or, or Le- the Leclerc, which was the third fastest car uh, was being hunted down by the rest of the midfield who were all about a second behind each other where you had Ocon constantly harassing Stroll you had two great teams Renault and McLaren fighting and scrapping against each other you know you had uh, Ricardo sandwich 
between those two McLarens uh, trying to get the job done in the early part of the race. We saw two spectacular overtakes around the outside of Luffield. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. We saw Ricardo go around the outside of Stroll on lap one. And then a bit later on, we saw Lando Norris going around the outside of Daniel Ricardo as well. And then as if that wasn't enough, as if uh, a very standard F1 race in, in many ways that provided general F1 entertainment, as if all that wasn't enough, the racing gods came down with their benevolent lightning finger and just gently touched an air of chaos and whispered it over the front lefts of Carlos Sainz, Valtteri Bottas and world champion Lewis Hamilton. Imagine sitting there today and saying, would you like to see this race decided by the front guy driving home most of the lap on three wheels whilst Max Verstappen was hunting them down? I think you'd take that. Um, Overall, as an overall package, uh, what a fantastic weekend of Formula One we've had. And... You don't have to wait long for the next one. The exact same thing is happening next weekend. So whilst it's been a very difficult year, let's count our blessings because I think we're in for a great few weeks of Formula One. But this is where we give out awards. We uh, we give out one good award and then we go a bit darker and we give out a bad award. So the first award for which I, I don't have a bumper is the the thing of the weekend. And Matt, I think um, we need to come up with a better name for this award and a bumper. We we literally invented it on the first episode. And I said, right, we've got to do a good thing award. What's your thing of the weekend? And we've stuck with that for six years. It's not really good enough. But what was your thing of the weekend? It can be a car. It can be a person. It can be an ethereal concept. What is it? Uh I can only thank you for coming to me first because I'm not going to have to scrabble around in the dirt and say something like, oh, Grosjean holding off all those guys at the start of the race. The last lap that Lewis Hamilton drove was absolutely positively one of the most magnificent things I have ever seen to get round at that pace minus a tire. And with his wheel not even rotating as he came into the final complex of turns to win by just five seconds. Ah, you know, that's it. What other thing could there possibly be? Unless you're positing that it was secret people with miniaturized drones that destroyed the tires at the last minute because they were afraid Effie might look better than them on TV, well, which I don't uh, really think is the case. Well, it's worth and, noting. And that, that lap had to be it. Yeah. It's worth noting that Max Verstappen's punishment and community service that he had to serve was, as it turns out, to watch Formula E, which I feel is harsh. Yeah, it can be, you know, it's not a full out, uh, you know, it's not an out and out punishment to watch it. Uh, let's see. Thing of the weekend, Alex Van Jean. Matt's taking the best one. What have you got in store? The general racing in the midfield. There was great battles happening all over the place. The one move that was missed was Danny Rick on the first lap going around the outside of Lando into Brooklyn's and then into Luffield, which I thought was particularly special. Um, however, I am going to give a very slight one to before the race. They did a pre-race um, We Miss You Fans tribute uh, yes, uh, to yeah. Elton John song, which I thought was fabulous. Yeah, all of but, that. Yeah, no, my, my proper thing of the weekend is to the midfield racing because there were some great battles, some really naughty defences from a couple of drivers, but yeah, yeah brilliant racing. Oh, well, while we're on that, let, let's quickly address that. Driver standards, um, both Grosjean and Stroll uh, got pulled up for, for very naughty things. I mean, Grosjean, as uh, Mark McCardle, uh, fake Charlie Whiting, pointed out to me on Twitter, is um, 
uh, you know, he's the he's the the driver association guy, Brad. He's the one who's meant to talk about standards and defense stuff. And he was, I mean, he was proper mucky, wasn't he? He 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 was playing doctor. He was laying it down like a patient. He was. Uh, that's a good ex NDA yeah. reference. He was yeah, um, big fan making some pretty late moves, wasn't he? And then and then being surprised when he was um, called up on them or, or had his wrist slapped by his engineer. So. Um, yes, as a GPDA director, he needs to just be a little bit more careful about the late moves at and, very high speed. And in practice as well, he like parked it through Maggots and Beckets as well and got on the, the wrong end of of, uh, of Max Verstappen too. So, uh, you know, I put in, in one of my, my, my tweets over the weekend, I was, I was looking for banker bets. I was looking for like, right, what's things where, that we can assume will happen? So obviously Albon making contact with Hamilton. Uh, I got it wrong. It was Magnussen, but, you know, still Hamilton's fault probably somehow. Uh, well, was, oh yeah, that we would have a middle-aged uh, uh, um, commentator or or media person try and banter with Lando Norris. I'm sure that happened at some point. And then the other thing was that someone would get very upset at Roman Grosjean because that happens every weekend uh, and he doesn't seem to be a very a very popular boy. Um, Stroll did a couple of jinks and turns as well. We'll do a whole other thing on driver standards and driver rules because um, I, I think Brad's raised some interesting points where Brad, who is someone who we have turned to to look for Almost like driving etiquette and how you should conduct yourself. And obviously, Brad has lots of experience with multi-class stuff as well. So it's not like you're not used to being overtaken, Brad, because you've been in places where you've had different classes, you know, coming through and overtaking you. So we could do like a, you know, a mini show on driver standards and perhaps address some of these issues in the braking zone that Stroll and Grosjean did. Yeah, we can definitely do that at some point. Would you like my good thing? Your good thing. Yes, it's your turn. Okay, my good thing is just the general pace, the the absolute blistering pace of modern Formula One around Silverstone. It's just quite cool to witness the fastest ever cars. Yeah. And like like Alex pointed out, um, you know, very, very close to, well, in fact, close enough to get within 107% um, and actually qualify on the grid for a circuit which was 13% shorter is, is pretty stunning. Oh, there are other things though, aren't there, Brad? I mean... The circuit is has been resurfaced several times since then as well. It's it's a lot smoother, so it's a lot easier to get around in that respect as well. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I still think to go that much further, um, I think it's mainly that the cars are much much faster. Okay, so uh, we need to hurry along because we are getting close to our hour limit. Um, someone in the chat room, sorry, it was Scott Doro pointed out the Lando Norris helmet and I'm going to steal that as my thing of the weekend because my heart grew three sizes when I saw that Lando Norris had picked a design from a six-year-old to to go onto his helmet, Alex. And the most darling thing, as all us parents will recognise, is that Eva, the, the six-year-old who did it, ran out of room on Norris and so the S had to go on the line below. And I, ah, I love that he picked that. How many dads are annoyed they didn't get their daughters or their son, or their, their young daughters or young sons to do a, do a helmet design? Because I so would have had Phoebe doing that. I know, um, but I, I think, think we yeah. Go on. We I feel like we need a um, the things that make you laugh of the weekend as well because um, Nico Hulkenberg complaining about his butt getting numb in practice because <laughs> the seat didn't fit properly really yeah. made me laugh this weekend. There's that, and um, I'll spare a thought also though. Because I believe it was an open competition, wasn't it, for Lando Norris to design his race helmet? So just spare a thought for all like the budding graphics designers and stuff who don't have like contacts into that world and that industry who spent hours and hours designing a helmet for Lando to to take the admittedly adorable 
and brilliant decision to to pick Evers. But there'll be like a hundred guys out there who are like, this was really my shot. This was really my shot for a bit of recognition for my for my talent. So spare a thought for them as well. Um, too much positivity. Let's go for bad things. That's clearly not. That's the podium again. Let me let me try again. It's bad, isn't it? Imagine not knowing what your bumpers did. Here we go. Oh no, you missed the apex. I got it second time round, so that's quite good. Matt Trumpets, who missed the apex for you? Uh, Alfa Romeo, in general, and Raikkonen in particular. It just was not a great race for them. They did not look good. They did not sound good. And, you know, I mean, they buy more parts from Ferrari than Haas does, if I'm remembering this uh, statistic correctly so you'd expect them to at least sort of be vaguely fighty with the Haas and yet somehow they're not and that's just like it's sad because they were for a time a team that had innovations that were copied all the way up the grid to the very top teams and now they're just like parked at the back and you know falling into uh, Williams territory Alpha Ferrari isn't it Alpha Ferrari uh, the the white Ferrari and yet they can't pull off the same miracle that Racing Point have. And apparently uh, there's a decision now, not before this race that's just gone, there's going to be one available for before the next race, is what we're being told. They're conglomerating the three protests into one. They are bringing together a different board. So it's not just the Hungara Ring stewards or the Silverstone stewards. They're, they're having a, a separate uh, committee to decide whether the Racing Point is now legal. Alex Van Jean. Bad thing. Who missed the apex for you? Um, Mercedes for what? not no, for not really for not paying attention to their driver falling off the with his yeah. tires oh, falling completely yeah. off the off the cliff, dropping back so much and not pitting him when he had massive problems, vibrations, couldn't see. When you're driving an F1 car at 200 miles an hour, being to able see. to see is quite yeah. important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know it's a smooth circuit. Yeah, to not be able to see on a smooth circuit, so. I think it was a poor call from Mercedes. They've cost themselves. Not only have they cost themselves points in the Constructors' Championship, which they probably don't need, they've probably now cost Bottas the world title. And I know I'm calling it early, but it's to lose 25 four. points. It's race four. Now. Yeah. Unless Lewis has some sort of massive drama. Do you see him clawing that back? Brad, a comment, then you'll miss Apex Award. Yeah, I was just going to comment, that's not what's lost Bottas the title. Um, <laughs> so my missed Apex Award, the, the terrible thing of the weekend for me, was that absolutely awful Elton John fan thing at the start of the race, which I thought was cringe and That terrible, was Alex's thing. They weren't the even talking in time. They weren't even doing the words in the... In oh, time. it was no, just I'm lovely. Only, it was a I'm nice joking. thought. It was lovely. I'm joking. I just said that because Alex said it was the good thing. No, really, it's the, <laughs> it's the race stewards. It's the race stewards for giving Albon points on his license and penalising him for something that was another driver's fault entirely. Hmm. Yes. Well, you have been at odds with the stewards in a few decisions. I think what I always want, Alex, is just consistency. And I think I've kind of got that. Um, and actually, my Miss Apex Award um, is going to go to Alex Albon. Sorry, Brad. I know you feel like he wasn't technically responsible for this incident, but he is rolling the dice too often and obviously i have limited racing experience who am i to tell alex alban what to do but i think alex you and i have had big conversations in our sim racing and i went through a phase at the beginning of this year where i just blamed myself a hundred percent for every single incident i was involved in i said how was that my fault and what more could i have done to avoid it 
And I don't think Alex Albon is doing that. He's not changing his attitude. He keeps putting himself in 50-50s and it's not working, be it in wheel-to-wheel contact or pushing the limits of his car because he's ended up in the wall an awful lot as well. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue the whole. I'm not going to agree with you on the point that <laughs> the incident was his fault. Sure, but if he'd sorted qualifying out, he wouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah. If he could qualify where his teammate could qualify, this wouldn't be the problem. When you're in a much faster car fighting with much slower cars, this is the dramas you find yourself involved in. Matt, and it just needs to be pointed out that he got no running except for about five laps in fp3 because of a battery problem he had and in fact he's on a second urge if anyone besides me actually cares about the scrutineers count of usable items per car per season um so uh, while it would be nice to blame him solely for qualifying he didn't really get a lot of laps in fp3 to sort the car out after it was in the wall the day before and that may have played a part as well Ah, fair enough. I I get what you're driving at there. Uh, that's our good thing award. It's our bad thing award. And now we have to switch to anyone got a pony? Any ponies in the audience? Here we go. Hang on. No, I, I'm going to do it. Daddy, I want a pony and I want one now. Who's who's your pony award, Matt? Raikkonen. Why? Oh, my goodness. Boy, oh. tell him to box and change your mind and you will get an earful. Hang on. I found it. I found it. Daddy, yes. A partial success for me on the soundboard. Brad, who was yours? Uh, mine was easily Fiat when he, after he had a crash, which wasn't his fault at all, but he oh. kind of thought it was for some reason. I think it's because he touched the curb with yeah. his left front and then the car immediately spun. I think he just assumed he'd made a mistake. Um, but my pony is for him like smacking the camera out of the way afterwards. Oh, fair enough. That was Alex's as well. Okay, guys, uh, before we go, we've got time for one award. We are running shy on time, Matt. So literally three candidates for comment of the week and we will play your runners up after the show for the live chat people fair enough uh joshua smith sergio reindorf anton beal marcus blair twice and vermins thank you for your super chat donations thank you very much i'll read your comments later our um our potential winners are connor maher Brad is even worse for Vettel's morale than Ferrari themselves. Oh, yeah, Brad Stuart beat Neal. Vettel. Kimmy will have a broom strapped to the back of his car next week to sweep up the rubbish so he can feel that his afternoon was not a complete waste of time. Jeez, Kimmy's got a family. Come on, man. And I'm going to go with Paolo Very. Matt's t-shirt management in full <laughs> wet podcasting conditions is quite remarkable. That's quite funny. Is that the winner? That is going to be the winner this week. Yes. Comment of the week. Do feel free to add that to your Twitter bio. Thank you so much to the the chat room that have kept us company. Thank you to our patrons who support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Thank you to everyone else uh, as well who sent us emails. There was a very fascinating email, for example, about the graphics, uh, which we didn't get to, but we will try to cover that in an in-between show or or maybe a Patreon podcast as well uh, with me and Matt. And thank you most of all to my panel. I'm claiming you. You're my panel. Brad Philpot, expert, racy driver man and tyre tester, at Brad Philpot on Twitter. And on t- on YouTube is uh, uh, Brad Dude 2 k 
It's, it's at Bradley Philpott on Twitter. And oh, if you sorry. go there right now, you'll see I have a viral tweet, which got um, <laughs> hundred over 100,000 impressions during the race. So That was it, really uh, cool. It was a Vettel Racing Point joke. It was hilarious. So sorry, at Bradley Philpott, but on YouTube, it's BradDude2K. Got it. Or and, just say, or just Bradley Philpott. Yeah, but you can put in BradDude2K and it's fine. Uh, Alex Van Jean. So Alex, in fact, look, I've, I've put the graphic on the screen. Alex Van Jean. Uh, A-L-E-X, that's how you spell Alex. And then Van Jean's a little harder, V-A-N-G-E-E-N. You're on Twitter and you're experimenting, doing stuff on YouTube, and you're just finding your feet uh, being some kind of weird streamer guy. Yeah, I'm just dabbling with trying to do some streaming, some games. So please listen, please like and subscribe, and then... Oh. The first ones you watch, don't judge my audio because it's terrible at the moment um, and I'm trying to fix it. So, you really haven't um, But I'm doing that. some good things. There's some fun drives. You know, my races are actually more fun to watch than Brad's. Brad's are really fast and he goes off and wins the races and I'm scrapping in the midfield. Um, so mine are more entertaining to watch mm. even if it's not the, um, uh, as far as the Formula Renault is concerned, the masterclass that Brad's All right, we'll talk about how to promote your stuff a little bit later. Oh, listen to my stream. It's not very good. Like, forgive the bits that are rubbish. Come on, Van Gene trumpets all right so one if you're on the live stream don't go away because there will be a full shirt reveal to see exactly how sweaty i got on the shows for those of you who are into that thing and apparently there are many and am i wrong in saying that we have actual merchandise people can buy oh my god yep yeah Uh, i'm gonna pretend that i didn't forget i was gonna insert it in a mid-roll ad but please do go along to missed apex podcast forward slash buy stuff i know it's something people say all the time where they go we have been asked over and over again but we genuinely have been asked for missed apex podcast merch uh, and i think we've put a good package together you can get everything from t-shirts to mugs to clocks and of course at the moment face masks too the prices have been described as aggressively reasonable by some people and available on both sides of yes. the pond. Well, I believe it's worldwide at the moment, so shipping costs may vary, but I believe it is worldwide. MissedApexPodcast.com forward slash buy stuff. Thank you for joining us for our review of the British Grand Prix. We're going to do it all over again. We're going to get Uncle Joe in the shed as well. But wherever we see you next, be brave. Because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory last forever. This was Missed Apex. I didn't tell them where to follow the best ones. Matt Trumpets at MattPT55. Me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. Oh, no, we've got to get off the stream now before Brad's cat ruins it again. Oh, no. Here it is. It's, hang on. Is it Caroline? It's Catherine. Catherine. That was it. Oh, my She's gosh. Purring. For those who don't tune into the live stream, we had a disaster a few weeks back where Brad's cat got in a fight with another cat and then threw up. And uh, and Brad yelled at the beginning of the live stream, Catherine, shut the uh, up. And people were like, oh, my God, is that how he speaks to his fiance? No, it was a cat. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.